Thank you for joining us at the Center for Spiritual Living. We hope you enjoy this podcast. And for further information, please visit us at spiritualliving.org. And my dear friends, uh, this is my first time in this beautiful, sacred space. And I am absolutely joyous and honored to be here. So I thought I would start with uh, a couple of questions that uh, friends have been asking me uh, in, the, in the light of these recent events. And one of the questions is that, you know, we are feeling so much of anger, uh, sadness, fear, uh, pain. What do we do with these feelings? Is there a technique to really integrate them, transform them? Yes, if you study all the world's traditions, the first insight is that all feelings are sacred. They're simply energies, vibrations. If they have an edge, if they're difficult, it's only because they are separated from us. They're begging to be acknowledged. They're begging to be embraced. They're begging to be healed. You know, Carl Jung, who studied many Eastern traditions, he was fond of saying, will you for once in your life have the courage and the grace to kiss the demons and dragons within you? That is how they turn into a prince or princess. So in the Sufi tradition, and the Islamic mystical tradition, uh, there is a technique uh, that is called sacred holding. And when you have a difficult feeling, of course, restrain yourself in not doing something you'll regret, like if, if it's anger. But at the earliest opportunity, do this practice. Step number one, uh, when you're sitting quietly, with compassion for yourself, with mercy, with gentleness, uh, you know, allow yourself to feel that feeling. Remember, it's sacred. Number two, ask yourself, where do I feel in my body the sensations that I call anger, sadness, fear? You see, all feelings have a corresponding physical sensation. So if I felt uh, fear, where do I feel it in my body? Locate it. That's number two. Number three, with compassion, with mercy for yourself, allow yourself to envelop that sensation as you would hold a loved one and just be with it. No need to fix it. No need to analyze it. But a great need to simply be present with it. If it moves, move with it. That by itself is a very powerful technique, but you might go further. Uh, what I do is, when I'm with that physical holding, I, with respect, ask it some questions. The first question is, do you have a message for me? Are you trying to tell me something? Do you have a secret for me? I'm really willing to listen. And it's not that I'm expecting an answer, but I respectfully lovingly asked that question. That is critical. 
The second question after some time is, how may I love you? How may I befriend you? Because remember, like Carl Jung said, it is begging to be kissed, to be held, to be loved, to be integrated to the whole, W-H-O-L-E. So after the second question, the last step is, I focus on that physical holding, and I just make an intention to breathe through that part of my body, and that integrates it. So the point is, be present with compassion for yourself with that difficult feeling. You know, through this process, I have found in my own life, through sacred holding, that my anger becomes transformed into sort of an inner enthusiasm. My fear into a greater mindfulness. My sadness into a larger empathy. Which is why uh, Rumi has that wonderful verse, uh, the dark thought, the shame, the malice, Greet them at the door laughing because each one has been sent as a guide from beyond. But don't forget the other provision, equally critical. Don't run towards pain and suffering. Don't run towards difficult feelings. Just don't run away from them. So just please just be with that. The need to honor my difficult feelings to sacralize them. And please know, if I don't do this work, then in fighting injustice, I might myself become unjust. In fighting extremism, I might myself become extreme. Okay, the second question, or the second uh, insight is, you know, I really yearn for a structural change. I am tired of cosmetic, superficial changes. And uh, I, I love to talk about this one particular uh, panel I was on, on racism. And this African-American professor was saying that, did you know that every 28 hours, an African-American is being killed, murdered by state-sponsored violence? This is official statistic. We were shocked, stunned. But he said, that's not the real problem. The real problem is the African-American is being killed, murdered, but a billion times, with a B, a billion times a day. How? By all those negative biases, prejudices, stereotyping of the other we have. This is what is most dangerous. And how do you deal with that? How do you heal and transform your conditioned biases, prejudices, stereotyping? Of course, legislation will help. Education is critical. But what's really needed is some spiritual practices. Or call it any practice you want to, but it's a practice. We have to do it to move beyond our conditioned biases and prejudices. So how would you do that? Because that's the key, to make structural changes. 
if you study the world traditions, uh, one beautiful technique is to really shine the light of compassionate awareness on yourself, to make a commitment for a lifetime. I'm going to switch on the light of merciful awareness on myself. So since childhood in my training, uh, I was asked to keep a piece of paper in my pocket. And every time I became aware of a negative ego trait, I would, of course, restrain myself from doing something which I would regret. But at the earliest opportunity, I would write it down. Like I got uh, overly fearful, angry, resentful, jealous. I would make a note of that on the piece of paper. And also in the course of the day, if I did something or I, I, I experienced a divine quality flowing through me, I sincerely praised someone, I spoke the truth even though it was inconvenient, I also write that down. And at the end of the day, in the evening, I look at both the columns and I feel and express gratitude to spirit, to divinity, to God for making me aware of my ego trait. I'm shining the light of grateful awareness on it as also on the divine quality. And I know from my experience, if I keep doing this with gratitude, shining the light on the ego shadow, the light diminishes it. Shining the, you might say, the light of the sun on the plant, which is the divine quality, the sun grows that plant. So this awareness is very critical. So just be with that, asking yourself, do I practice compassionate self-witnessing? You know, there's another way uh, that the Sufis, they encourage you to look at yourself, is by sharing these humorous stories of the mullah, who is a fictional character. He's, you might say, uh, a sage, a village uh, idiot and a sage rolled into one. He loves to laugh at himself and he invites you to join him. So for example, here is a mullah story. Uh, this is really about our slavish dependence on pundits, experts, authorities. We forget to consult our heart, our inner teacher. The story is that the mullah is deathly ill. His wife is wailing and crying, lamenting. And now in comes the expert, the authority. And who is that? That's the allopathic medical doctor who examines the mullah at length, turns to the wife and says, Oh, honorable wife of the mullah, as the Quran says, only Allah is immortal. Your husband is dead. He has passed. His soul is in the bosom of God. It's very poetic. Continues. But the mullah is not dead. He's alive. He's feebly saying, I'm alive, I'm alive, I'm alive. And what does the wife say? Quiet, quiet. Don't argue with the doctor. So, again, many levels of meaning. Who, who and what am I slavishly dependent on? Do I consult my heart? Do I consult my inner teacher? 
Why don't I? Of course, it's very wise to listen to elders. Prophet Muhammad famously said, listen to your elders, listen to the religious judge. But always, and he would repeat it, consult your heart, consult your heart, consult your heart. You know, the sages have a saying, uh, Jamal, if you hear a bird in song, do you feel the need to ask it for its credentials? You don't. Why am I so imprisoned, shackled to authorities, experts? So just something to think about. Another point I want to make is very critical for us to do some spiritual practice. You know, we, we feed our bodies, essential, but... Jamal, what are you doing to feed, to nourish, to nurture your soul? Silence is a very beautiful practice. As the interfaith amigos always say, there's no such thing as a Jewish, Christian, or Muslim silence. It's just silence. And we need silence. Rumi says, look at our lives. We're like fish out of water, thrashing and quivering on the banks. From time to time, we need to dive in those oceans of silence, those life-giving waters. So I love the saying of Rumi who says, silence is not the absence of sound. Silence is the absence of the little self. Silence is the language of God. Everything else is a poor translation. Uh, Rumi goes on. He says, be silent so that the Lord who gave you language may speak. For as he fashioned a door and a lock, God also made a key. This is a story of the Buddha who once told his congregation when he was, you know, when he was asked, what do you really gain from meditation? It is said, the Buddha said, absolutely nothing. And they were shocked. Then why do you make us meditate for hours? He says, yes, I've told you what the fact that you have gained nothing, but let me tell you what you have lost or what I have lost in meditation. I have lost my fear of death, my anxiety, my anger, my depression. That is why I meditate so often. So just be with that for a few seconds. Okay, now I want to talk about the critical need for really reaching out to the other. This is one of the best ways to overcome polarization, that chasms of any differences, religion, culture, politics, race, the Quran says, God has created diversity for one primary reason, that you might come to know the other on a human level. And the Quran has another tongue-in-cheek verse, actually, a revelation, a divine revelation, where God says in the Quran, and we have created some of you to be a trial for others. 
It wasn't meant to be easy. But this is a major work to really come to know the other on a human level. Which is why I love that phrase uh, in, from Asia. Please, with the other outside your tribe, please share three cups of tea. Listen, respect, connect. So, I have to ask myself, Jamal, when you are dealing with the other, who could be even contrary, adversarial, are you really listening? Or are you already, as the other person is talking, formulating your answer? So I love Rumi's definition of listening, the metaphorical description. Listening is it's like putting your head on the person's chest and just sinking into the answer. I love the insight of Noam Chomsky, that, that wonderful professor for MIT. He says, you know, uh, if you don't listen to those who you despise, you don't really believe in freedom of expression. I love the other insight an enemy, an adversary, is someone whose story you haven't really listened to. So just allow these to percolate within you. Am I listening? In fact, the, the modern masters say, what is nonviolence? It is being silent and listening. And I, I love that insight that, Jamal, when you are talking, you're just repeating something you already know. But if you're listening, you might really learn something. And this morning I was sharing that, you know, I've always wondered about the real meaning of being in the now, being present. I, I know all the theories about it, but I, I want to, as, as the Sufis say, in my understanding of being present, I want to move from a knowledge of the tongue to a knowledge of the heart. And I had this opportunity when I was a spiritual companion uh, with, a, with a dear friend uh, who was actually dying, who was in hospice, and I was her spiritual companion. And I would go and do a lot of chanting, uh, talk about wisdom from different traditions, uh, what happens when you die, what the different religions say, a lot of Rumi poetry. And one day... Just two days before she died, she held my hand. I, remember, I still remember that touch because it really reflected the tender words she told me. She said, Jamal, I thank you so much for your words, your chants, your poetry. But I really need for you to be present. And that really got my attention. I said, please tell me more. And I really listened. And she told me, Jamal... If you, if you feel awkward, please feel awkward. Your awkwardness is utterly healing for me. If you want to cry, cry. That is healing to me. If you're speechless, be speechless. You being speechless is healing for me. And in that instant, because I listened, I began to have a heart knowledge 
partially of what that really meant. As I love to say, that splashed in my heart. So first was listen, then respect. The great masters say, uh, and let me quote Kabir, 15th, 16th century. The great master says, you know, in dealing with someone who's your adversary, don't allow yourself to be abused. Protect yourself. Take the right action. But as you take the right action, I beg you, I implore you, please, as you take the right action, do not keep this person's essence or being out of your heart. This person's Christ nature, Buddha nature, Elohim nature. Make a distinction between behavior and being. You're against this person's behavior, not against this person's being, which is Christ nature, Buddha nature, Elohim nature, Allah nature. And just keeping this discernment, distinction in your mind and heart has the power to shift heaven and earth. So just be with that for a few moments. That discernment between behavior and being has the power to shift heaven and earth. The third one, connect. Connect with the other on a human level. This morning again I was talking about these Abrahamic uh, interfaith gatherings, uh, music and food, but they're so infrequent. And in those gatherings, the common complaint is that the behavior is absurdly nice. And once the party is over, people go home, Muslims become terrorists, uh, Jews become occupiers, Christians become liars. Unless there's the environment where some of them, they become friends. They connect on a human level. You see, no matter what our difference is, if we connect, differences could be race, religion, political view, but if we connect on a human level, those differences now no longer loom as a threat. It becomes difficult to demonize the other or dehumanize the other. Plus, it creates the space where we can really join hands Intercollaborate, intercooperate in doing projects of social justice and earth care. You know, I and Ted and Don, we, we always want to emphasize the beauty of interfaith. And this is best done through stories. Very quickly, in the three minutes I have left, here, here's a story I share. When I was in London studying, I experienced racial discrimination. Not a problem, because in our own culture we have that. We discriminate against different shades of, of uh, brown or black. But I encountered for the first time this confrontation with skinheads, a racial group that believed that the culture and the economy of Great Britain was declining. And if you only you scared the South Asian immigrants... They'd be so frightened, they'd go back home, and Great Britain would become great again. 
So I had this one encounter where I felt I could have been badly injured, even killed. So for the first time in my life, I experienced fear, fear for my physical safety. That's a different kind of feeling. I was able to leave England. I came to America. Everything was fine till 9-11. And then, of course, there was difficulty at the border crossings being a Muslim. But I don't want to exaggerate. I'm privileged. I have resources, fierce loyalty of friends. But the point I want to make is this affects one's sense of identity, this discrimination. Affects one's sense of belonging not only makes me dysfunctional, the entire community, society becomes dysfunctional. Why? Because we are so interconnected. A chain is only as strong as its weakest link. When one part of the body suffers, the entire body suffers. So what is it I would like to recommend that can bring peace? That we create at a grassroot level, circles within circles, where there is the gateway of love, of trust, of love of truth. We are friends and we help one another in this circle to evolve in the fullness of our being, to become more developed as a human being and join hands in projects of social justice and earth care. It is these circles grassroots circles like you have here that interact with all the others that really will bring peace, harmony, and understanding in the world and structural changes. So maybe all come out, as Rumi says, maybe all come out of the circle of time and enter, enter the circle of love. Thank you.